Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tim and... Tom. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Fantastic. So it's been uh, another exciting week of, of football. The the football uh, soap opera continues and it's been a typical week in football because we've got an on-field story developing But we've also got a very important off-field story which has happened this week, and we're going to focus on both. Um, and that is kind of why football is the world's most popular sport, because it appeals for, to people in many different ways. There's the beauty of the sport, there's the skill, there's the success, there's the uh, the underdog, the favourites. But there is also the off-pitch soap opera, um, and that does attract people. Uh, unfortunately, I think this week uh, has attracted people for the wrong reasons. Uh, it's been a sad week, I would say, for Spanish football in general, and As Spanish football is one of the representatives, one of the major leagues across the world's game, uh, it's a sad week for football in general. Um, Tom, of course, I'm talking about the uh, Vinicius Junior case, uh, the racism case from last Sunday's match away against Valencia in the Mestalla Stadium, a wonderful stadium. I've been there myself. Um, however, there were some ugly scenes. Um, I don't know if you saw it, Tom, but I'm sure you've heard all about it. Um, Uh, everyone's been talking about it in Spain and in the world of football. I understand that there were some fans behind one of the goals who were making uh, racist taunts towards Vinicius Jr. And uh, he got very upset. I did see some footage of him very upset, being pulled away by his teammates, uh, alerting the referee to the behaviour that was going on. Uh, And I do know that Valencia beat Real Madrid 1-0 in that game. I don't know if the racist incident had an effect on the performance of Vinicius and his teammates, uh, but that's my understanding of the incident. Is that correct? Yes, um, yes, on a very basic level, yes. Um, there was He was racially abused. Um, let me give a bit more detail. So there was at one point uh, of the match, um, Vinicius seemed to be getting very animated and actually went over to the, uh, to the stands and pointed someone out and accused them of, of, of calling him uh, racist, uh, racist things. Um, and the referee was told um, they didn't go off the pitch. Um, and then, It seemed uh, there was an announcement on the tannoy. The tannoy, of course, is the public speaker in the stadium or in a train station. The tannoy, um, saying, warning the fans that uh, racism could lead to the the match being abandoned. And really, at this point, that was when it really got even nastier because instead of it being one or a small group of people abusing Vinicius, that's when huge groups of, of Valencia supporters started insulting him together. They were actually singing the Spanish word for monkey um, in, in unison. So as I say, it wasn't just one small group of people. It was, I wouldn't like to put an exact number, but it sounded like a football song was being sung by a whole stand or at least a big part of a stand. Um, And I don't want to go over insults, Tom, but, you know, you had things like monkey, you had a black piece of uh, sh, uh, the SH words that we're not going to mention on here. And um, all sorts of typical insults, the kind of insults that ignorant people use um, to try and make uh, people, ethnic minorities feel small, feel, feel not, not welcome. It was disgusting, Tom. Um, we're talking about 
I would say one of the, the best players in La Liga at the moment. It doesn't matter who we're talking about because racism is racism. Um, he did point out the abusers. Uh, they weren't dealt with. Um, and uh, as I say, this point where the, where the announcement was made, instead of it calming the situation down, it made the situation much worse because Vinicius is seen as a symbol of Real Madrid. Everybody knows he's the danger man. And it felt like the Valencia fans thought that they could use these racist expressions as a way to to provoke Vinicius into a poor performance. And that's really what they wanted. Let's face it, they're in there to see their team win. I don't think they go there with the intention of, of being racist. I don't think they turn up to the stadium with that intention. Having said that, as the uh, Real Madrid bus was arriving at La Mestalla, there were also shouts of monkey outside the stadium before the match had started. Um, so it was disgusting, Tom. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, it wasn't the first time this season. Uh, this is the 10th racist incident which has been reported to La Liga this season. Nothing has been done. There's been zero punishments. Um, and that's really, I think, where where La Liga has been uh, has been caught napping. And to be caught napping means to be caught not attentive. Uh, La Liga doesn't seem to be has have such a modern approach to racism like in other leagues where it's tackled very proactively and it's the, there is zero tolerance for racism for example tom you've been to british football stadiums i've been to british football stadiums um you don't hear racist abuse against black people like that i think you might have done in the 1980s and things like that so my first question to you tom is <clears throat> How has England managed to deal with uh, with racism in football? Because this isn't it's not a question of one league being better than another league. We need to bring the football family along together. Um, so how can La Liga or well, what can La Liga copy from the British game to try and fix this problem? I think that uh, rather than just focus it as a football problem, which is where the problem has manifested, we should think about it as a society problem. And one difference with the United Kingdom and Spain is that uh, these problems first emerged in the 1970s in England with the first black players coming to play in the top division were also subject to terrible abuse that continued through the 80s into the 90s. It was really only stopped out, I think. Uh, we saw a, a change of attitude. This change of attitude came from society uh, it came from the integration of the, the Caribbean community who, who came over and often mixed with white people. And we can see many of the, the children who are playing as top flight footballers today. So I think there was a change in the way uh, British society viewed black people. They became part of British society. And as a result, whether you're shouting those chants in a uh, top flight football stadium or on a Sunday league field uh, in front of someone, it became completely unacceptable in our society. Uh, that hasn't happened yet in Spain. And I wonder if that's a reflection of the immigration wave, particularly from Africa, that has come a little bit later to Spain than uh, for us. It was in the 60s and 70s. You could argue that really it came uh, a couple of decades later in Spain. So it might just be that society 
is behind. I think if you ask any Spanish person, they agree it's wrong, but there still seems to be an element of society here that thinks it's acceptable to do if it's going to give your team an advantage. And, and I just want to touch on one very important point you made earlier, Tim, that I agree with, that uh, are these people, these fans, are they actually racist? All of those ones who are singing monkey, probably they are not racist in their beliefs, but they were using racist language uh, with another intention. And that intention was to get Vinicius riled up, meaning to get him upset, to put him off his football. So uh, I'm not saying that's acceptable, but I'm saying that the intention was to ruffle him. I, I doubt that uh, David Alabar or uh, some of the other black players got the same treatment as Vinicius because the fans knew that he was uh, an easier target with, with that kind of uh, racist abuse. Yeah, I, I think this is an important question to decide, is somebody racist or aren't they racist if they're using racist insults to insult people? And I think... It's very easy to say, oh, you know, I don't have racist views, but uh, this slipped out or this came out in the heat of the moment or something like that. But I mean, these people are adults, Tom. They weren't kids. Um, they should understand the power of language and the meaning behind what's in their words. So I'd be a little bit less sympathetic. I, I do agree that these people are not people who leave their bed in the morning thinking I'm a racist. I want to treat ethnic minorities badly but that doesn't mean that, that just being willing to take the easy route to insult somebody the the race card or the sexism card or the homophobia card they're such easy cards to to, to have they're almost like it's almost like school playground level intellect you know it's like i haven't got a better thing to say i might not even have a point so i'm just going to throw some racist comments out there because i they i know they're going to get the reaction i need um but talking about the societal change tom i think you are i think you are right in what you say that society is the heart of the problem here and society is a top-down or a bottom-up situation it doesn't matter how you want to look at it but let's look at it from the top down post-match after the Valencia match um Vinicius Junior Junior wrote on his Twitter La Liga is racist Spanish football is racist Spain is racist and uh Tebas the controversial head of La Liga, not of the Spanish FA, of La Liga, um, really put his foot in it with his response to uh, Vinicius. And to put your foot in it means to make to make an error, uh, in this case, a social error. He came out and said that Vinicius had provoked the situation, that Vinicius didn't really understand uh, what was happening, and that Vinicius had declined his invitations to try and address the problem previously. And so he obviously hadn't read the room. He didn't understand what the world's reaction was at that moment. And it was quite bizarre. And when I say bizarre, I mean crazy, ironic. At the same time that... Uh, um, that Tebas released this statement. I was having conversations with my friends on WhatsApp and they were saying that it was terrible what had happened. It was racist, that they were essentially agreeing with what Vinicius had said. And then Tebas, with his right wing connections, um, 
comes out and makes these totally insensitive insensitive statements. And this actually, I would say, almost added to the situation because it wasn't just that there was racism that had been reported, that it was that the person who's in charge of the league, who should be there making, making the changes uh, and punishing these people, um, was almost trying to justify the racism he was saying that vinicius provokes people now i've been speaking about uh, this prov provocation apparently provocation for racism according to tabat tebas's statement is animated complaining to the referee uh falling over theatrically um or dancing after a goal dancing after a goal <laughs> exactly so if this is considered behavior which is provocative to the extent that somebody is going to use hate speech as a response then i think the problem doesn't lay lie with vinicius but it lies in the temperament of the person watching this this performance and if if you can't go to a football match and see someone dancing after a goal without losing your cool then maybe you shouldn't be in that football match at the, in the first place um let's think about some of the reactions to this i mean uh, vinicius of course is a world football star he's brazilian um there were riots there were protests outside the spanish embassy in brazil Brazil, um, the the Spanish, uh, the Brazilian president uh, Lula da Silva criticised the um, what happened. The Brazilian foreign minister criticised what had happened. Um, and to be honest, again, Tebas came out three, four days later. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. He came out and made a new statement, and, and again he put his foot in it. He said he was sorry. He said that he hadn't understood the situation, which as the head of La Liga is completely incompetent anyway. And then he also said some things which really highlight how out of touch he is with the modern world. He said that uh, La Liga could fix this problem in six months. Um, and that made me think, well, if it's such an easy problem to fix and you've been in the job two or three years, Tebas, why haven't you done it already? We've already mentioned at the start of this podcast that this was uh, there have been 10 previous uh, cases of racism against Vinicius just this season in La Liga. Uh, that's not to mention other players. Um, and it just seems like it's it's trying to shut the door after the horse has, has bolted. And that's an expression which means to try and fix a problem once it's too late. That comment from Tebas sounds, it makes him sound like more like a politician than the president of La Liga. I'm sure he has political skills to get to that position, but it was a little bit like hearing Donald Trump say the other week, uh, I can fix uh, the Ukraine war in one day. You know, it was one of these bold problems, which really is just a promise that someone makes. It's not based in reality. As we've discussed, we agree it's a societal problem. Uh, there are things that could be done to try and improve it, but we can't necessarily uh, expect it to be fixed like that. End of. I don't believe that.
No, we certainly can't. We'll, we'll come to uh, we'll come to potential punishments and how we can change the situation. But there is more in the context. So uh, two days after this racist incident, uh, there were some arrests made. A couple of Valencia fans were arrested. But even more curiously, was there a there were arrests made for previous racist attacks on Vinicius? So, for example, I'm sure lots of our listeners and, and yourself will remember that there was an effigy left hanging from. From a bridge in Madrid by the Atletico Madrid fans. Explain to our listeners what is an effigy. An effigy is like essentially a model of a person. Um, like you would, uh, what are they called in shops when they have the clothes on them? Um, it's similar like to a an mannequin, yes. Like a mannequin, yes. A, a model of a body. There was a model of a body, body, an effigy left hanging from a bridge in Madrid saying um, something like die. Um, which, of course, was a reference to the Ku Klux Klan and how they attacked slaves, black Americans um, in, in the past. And there were some arrests made on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, following the Vinicius event on the Sunday. And that just all smelt a little bit convenient to me. Um, if the police have known who these Atletico Madrid fans were that did this uh horrible horrible action um why did why did they just coincidentally arrest these people just after the vinicius event um why has tevas decided to start taking uh, racism seriously now um i'd like also to mention um rubiales who's the head of the Spanish, uh, the Federation of Football, so the equivalent of the Spanish FA. Um, he came out on the on the day after the game and was heavily critical of, of the situation in Spanish football. He said that it was a societal, societal problem. It was a problem of education. He also criticised Tebas's comments. He said that it wasn't um, for, the, for the head of La Liga to be getting tangled up in online arguments with people who have just suffered racist abuse um so and i think there is a bit of a power struggle going on here in spanish football but that doesn't excuse uh tebas's lack of reaction um and obviously in the midweek games there was always going to be a gesture from la liga and the typical gesture was that players came out before the match and held a banner saying anti-racism let's kick racism out but curiously uh there was a player called uh diacabi um, who has, I can't remember, I think he was a Getafe player. Um, he refused, a, a black African player, he refused to join this, uh, this holding of the banner saying, let's kick racism out. And I did a bit of investigation and it turns out that he accused a Cadiz player, Juan Cala, of calling him a negro de mierda, which means, uh, sorry for my language, for, excuse my French, uh, it means a black piece of shit. Um, uh, to, to say excuse my French in English is a way, a polite way of saying you're going to say a rude word. Um, and this was uh, this happened during COVID. So there was microphone recordings, there was video images and there was no punishment made of Juan Cala. And Tebas in that instance, again, 
backed the racist. They didn't back the victim. So you can see that these kind of token efforts, and when I say a token effort or a token gesture, it's when you do something, not because you want to do it, but because you feel you have to do it. And I feel that La Liga's response has been a token gesture to racism. And we, I've done a bit of investigation as to why they might be making these token gestures. Uh, and I think there's two crucial factors. Firstly, uh, La Liga is going through a period of post-Cristiano and post-Lionel Messi, where they, where they are really lacking stars. All the stars at the moment in world football are in England or in France uh, or in Italy. Uh, La Liga really needs its superstars, and Vinicius is definitely a star of the present and the star of the future. And there's talk that he might be looking to leave Spanish football as a result of what happened. And furthermore, I've heard that representatives of Visa, representatives of Coca-Cola were on the phone to uh, to La Liga on Monday and Tuesday, questioning the, what they were going to do about racism, saying that they didn't want to be involved uh, in sponsoring a league which was seen as not being proactive at tackling this problem. And of course, the bigger picture of this is uh, Spain and Portugal will be applying for the 2030 World Cup. Um, and of course, you're not going to win many votes if you're a league which has essentially permitted racism. So, Tom, the situation's serious um, and the situation needs addressing. Um, it's not Vinicius isn't the first player. Danny Alves faced this. Um, Roberto Carlos has faced this. These are big name players, big name Brazilians. Brazilian football has always brought so much to the world's game, to the European game, and especially to the Spanish game. If you think players like Ronaldinho, um, we've got we've got to make people feel comfortable. Um, and really, Tom, the the solutions. Uh, Tebas today, uh, not today, yesterday, sorry, again, put his foot in it, I think, by suggesting points deductions. Personally, uh, it's not a it's not a solution that I think is applicable. But Tom, what do you think? A points deduction for a team or a group of fans who have been proven to be racist? What do you think about that? I don't think that's such a clean solution. I think it tends to uh, punish the efforts of the the vast majority of of players and fans and and people at the club who are not racist who did not participate in the act. Uh, it's it's the equivalent of the teacher saying all the students have to stay behind into break time or lunchtime until we find out who did it. I prefer a more precise solution. I, I think it would be in this day and age where uh, across our, our stadiums we have television cameras anywhere everywhere it's not difficult to highlight and identify uh, who is participating uh, you might not be able to dangle microphones close enough to listen to everyone but you could certainly have cameras showing if people are making gestures and you can lip read well enough from from video cameras you can make a strong statement and send a message out to fans who have been caught uh, participating in this by banning them. Uh, how long that ban would be, I don't know. But I feel like the issue should be dealt with uh, by the clubs. And perhaps the problem La Liga has is uh, they're, they're unwilling or unable. They don't have the power 
to to make the clubs take action often clubs are a little bit fearful of upsetting the fans there uh, i know in recent times ac milan had this trouble in the sem the semi final of their champions league match after their their defeat to inter milan but uh, clubs I think have the key responsibility. If the racism is happening in their territory, that means in their stadium on match days, uh, I would like them to, to send a strong message by banning these fans uh, it, so that the fans around them know that it will not be tolerated. Um, I agree with some of what you've said, not all of it. Um, I agree that the points deduction isn't a suitable ban. But really, I think you're right that it punishes everyone and not just the um, the the perpetrators, meaning the people who did the crime. Um, but more than that, I just think it's mixing issues. You're 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 it's a it's a sporting punishment for a social problem. Um, and I think it devalues the whole league. Um, I'm really not in favor of sporting punishments uh, of points deductions when they're avoidable, um, because, you know, it's the case of, oh, we came fourth and got champions. League, but we only became fourth because one of the teams in front of us had a 10 point deduction, uh, like Juventus, for example, have had this season. Um, so, yes, I also don't, I'm not sure I agree, Tom, about the whole idea of it being up to the clubs to control their own fans because. Um, let's face it, these are private businesses. They are interested in money. And if you've got, for example, a group of ultras who every week buy two or 3,000 tickets uh, and they, they go to the away games when maybe other people wouldn't buy those tickets, it's very difficult for a club to, uh, to punish those people because essentially they're punishing themselves through the lack of revenue. And I feel that under those circumstances, clubs that took racism more seriously would end up suffering more than than clubs who didn't take it so seriously because the clubs who didn't take it so seriously would just turn a blind eye. Uh, to turn a blind eye means to not to intentionally not see a problem. And in fact, this kind of thing has been seen in Italian football with the relationships, the love-hate relationships between the groups of ultras and the clubs. The, the groups of ultras create huge problems for the clubs, but at the same time, they fill their coffers, which means they make them money. Um, so personally, um, I would look at a different ban. I would look at stadium bans. We've spoken about this before. Um, I, I would the first instance, I would ban the stand. So I, for example, the other night, what would I have done the other night? If I were Vinicius, I would have reported it to the referee. The referee should report it to the fourth official. The fourth official should tell the stadium announcer to put a message on the tannoy saying we have heard racism uh, from, for example, the North Stand. Next match, the North Stand will be closed. If there's more racism, half the stadium will be closed. Literally announce that in the stadium and then then the, the fans know where they stand. If there's another instance of racism in that match, the same thing happens. Vinicius would go to the referee. The referee would speak to the fourth official. The stadium announcer would say, there's been a second report of racism. The next match, half the stadium will be closed and then threaten the third, the third strike being the whole stadium closure. And then, uh, every time it happens, I would extend the ban. So, for example, the first time, one stand, second time, half the stadium, third time, full stadium, fourth time, full stadium, two matches, fifth time, full stadium, three matches, because 
going back to our question at the start of this podcast, uh, which was uh, how did English football deal with this? It dealt with it, Tom, through social pressure. It's impossible for the police to know what everyone in the stadium is doing. It's impossible, as you say, for us to have detailed recordings of everything. But it is possible if I say something racist in a match, it's impossible that the people around me don't hear me. Um, and for example, I've seen this with Arsenal. There's a specific word to describe Tottenham supporters, which 20 years ago was seen as socially acceptable. And now it's seen as socially unacceptable. I've been in stadiums where people have been told to shut up. I've been on trains where people have been told to shut up for singing that song. I've been in WhatsApp groups where people have explained to friends, hey, I'm not comfortable using that word anymore. Um, and I think that's the way where societal change happens. And, and you're right, it's not just a problem in the stadium, it's a society problem. And we need to start using the social mechanisms, the social pressures that there are to fix these problems. Um, so, Tom, what do you think about my um, staggered, and when I say staggered, I mean increasingly severe stadium punishment, uh, stadium closure uh, proposal? I like it, Tim, because uh, I'm just relieved that you didn't go more authoritarian. I, I was worried that you might go for giving the police more powers to uh, invoke more hate speech uh, laws, which I feel very uncomfortable with generally, because, uh, again, we come back to this problem of the intent behind the language, what really constitutes hate. It also raises questions for uh, the issue of freedom of speech. I, I'm a little bit old fashioned in this respect, where I think uh, people should be free to say what they want without facing criminal charges, with the exception of the, the shouting fire in a movie theater example, or threatening someone, threatening someone. But I put mockery, even racist mockery, homophobic mockery, I put it into a different category. So I don't want to give the police force more powers, but I'm happy for clubs and the league to work together to, to put these heavy pun punishments in place in stadiums. So, so I would go along with your plan, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. I'm a big believer in freedom of speech. I think the the line between freedom of speech and humor and 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 threatening behavior, though, has been crossed here. I mean, when you hang an effigy from a bridge suggesting uh, death to black people, and I think that is in some ways a threat. Um, I can't remember the full spectrum of insults that uh, was were heard at uh, the weekend in the in the Mustaya Stadium, but I think it we're we're definitely at or over that line in some instances here. Um, I think Tom, the final question is, and this is a difficult question, is coming back to what Rubiales said, the head of the Spanish FA is. Is Spain racist? Is Spanish a racist language? Um, and is Spanish football racist? Um, I've got my opinions on this. These are difficult questions to answer. I, I think my personal opinion, without going too detailed into it, is that Spain is similar to many European countries. It's got a vast majority of people who wouldn't use this kind of language under any circumstances, but it's also got a small percentage of people who would use this kind of language. But one thing thing I would distinguish between the Spanish language and, for example, the English language is the frequency of using race 
as a distinguishing feature. So, for example, in English, uh, 20, 30 years ago or 40 years ago, it was acceptable to refer to the Pakistani shop um, uh, saying it's a it's a Pakistani shop. Um, but in English nowadays, that's not seen as socially acceptable um, because you're conditioning that that race of people, that nationality of people into a certain job or a certain class. Whereas in Spain, if you want to go to buy vegetables, you will say I'm going to the Chinese shop. That is a totally normal part of Spanish language. And I think Spanish does have a bit of a problem if we look at it through the through the eyes of the Anglo-Saxon English language and we try to measure Spanish through that same uh, measurement, then I do think Spanish is a slightly more racially uh, charged language than English. What do you think about this one, Tom? Uh, yes and no. You know, I, I absolutely I can take those points that... Uh race and nationality ethnicity it's discussed more overtly meaning that people will use that particular label just like that example you gave i'm going to the chino they say meaning the chinese uh you know shop uh however you know we can choose to look through it uh, look at the problem through an english lens and uh choose to interpret it as being uh, offensive uh but I choose not to to take that particular view. I, I think that uh, you know the Spanish have their way of doing things. That's part of their culture. Uh, I find actually, uh, if I wanted, I could take some offence on behalf of the Spanish people, even at that question being asked. Is Spain or that those statements get being given? I know you're just quoting. Is Spain a racist country? Is the language racist? This could be interpreted. Uh, and have people take offense to it, Spanish people as well. So uh, I, I feel a lot of it is by asking these questions, we're, we're sometimes looking for trouble. We're, we, you know, pulling up the carpet and looking for the, the dirt, for the, for the filth, which is in the culture when it's not necessarily there in the first place, which makes me ask the question, why are we doing this? Are we trying to cause trouble amongst ourselves or is it genuinely there? Uh, sometimes it's there. I'm not doubting the, the Vinicius Jr. case that obviously it is there. But sometimes when we take the issue further, uh, we get into territory where I think, uh, you know, we go looking. If you go looking for trouble, then you find trouble. Yes, but I also I think you're right to an extent. Um, I mean, I think we should we should say that me and you are both immigrants in Spain and we've always felt very welcome here. I've, I think I've been here for 10 years now. I've had two comments that have that have uh, been essentially racist comments in in 10 years. But at the same time, to all of my friends, to all, almost all of my friends, they refer to me as a word, which is a word for a northern European. Um, and I'm sure is your that, friends... Uh, <laughs> Is the it giri? They call you the yeah, giri. exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, so I think the prevalence of racial reference in Spanish is higher than in English. And, for example, Luis Suarez, when he had his incident with Patrice Evra, this was exactly his argument. He was saying that we can't measure Spanish through the English parameters. And I, and I accept this to an extent. Um, however, I don't think we can justify 
any of the things that were said on the pitch related to Vinicius. Um, and I do think we need to deal with them. I don't think Spain is a racist country as such, but there is, it's noticeable how much less racial uh, social mobility there is here. I mean, you don't see, for example, if you go to the expensive streets in Madrid, you don't see ethnic minorities walking around in suits, leaving banks like you would in London or in New York or something like that. So I think there is a bit of problem here with uh, with social mobility and the kind of glass ceiling, but that's not really a footballing issue. Um, what I'd like to go go back to the footballing issue is that People, we belong to a football family. Football is something which has always brought people together. It's one of the reasons I really love the sport, because having lived in lots of countries, it's always been something which has allowed me to make friends, allowed me to have something in common. And I think it's such a shame when we put essentially club tribalism before um, this great unifying factor that sports is, um, and and that we allow this tribalism to 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 make us forget our morality, forget our decency as people um, at crucial times and when we're in the public domain. Um, so I think that's a big shame. I think that's a real big shame. I love the sport as well for this reason that, you know, your African sweets, street sweeper can be the star player on your football team. And, you know, you might have a, a wealthy banker uh, playing on the same team, but football is such a pure sport that any of that social stratification, those differences in where you come from, what job you do, how much money you've got, they don't mean anything. They are meaningless on the football field. And I think uh, the majority of fans uh, go and watch games regularly and will cheer on black players just as much as they cheer on a white player because it's all about the ability of the player. Yeah, I think so. I think so to a large extent. Tom, I think we've covered this issue. Uh, let's move on to the on-pitch matters. We've got a relegation dogfight to talk about. Almeria are seriously involved in this uh, battle. Yes, they are, Tim. Almeria are in a relegation dogfight, but I think they'll survive. Uh, there are actually seven teams who could all technically go down to the second division with two games remaining. Uh, but Almeria are not in the relegation zone. They're actually uh, in 16th place. Sorry, in the 15th place. 15th place in the league right now. So they're not as bad as other clubs. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, what you've seen? Yeah, I mean... When we left the stadium at the weekend, Tom, after a comfortable victory, a, a, a Vinicius hat-trick, a different Vinicius, Lathero Vinicius, a wonderful hat-trick for the young player, Brazilian again. Um, we left the stadium feeling pretty confident that the work was done, didn't we? 39 points, two games left to play, a nice five-point cushion between us and the relegation zone or four-point cushion. But then in the midweek games, everything got turned on its head. Um, just to give you an example, Valladolid lost, uh, beat Barcelona 3-1. Uh, there were accusations from Espanyol that Barcelona intentionally threw the game uh, as a way to punish Espanyol for the pitch invasion that interrupted the Barcelona uh, league winning celebrations. However, I think that's a conspiracy theory. I don't think Barcelona would ever look to lose a football match. But another surprising result was Getafe. They won away at a Betis uh, and Betis 
are chasing Europe. So it was a really surprising result. Um, and also Espanyol, they were losing 3-0 at home to Atletico Madrid, and they turned it round in the second half and drew 3-all to keep their survival hopes alive. Uh, Espanyol are, four, uh, are three points away from safety, but that point meant that they're only one game away. As you said, there's seven teams in the mix. We've got Espanyol down in 19th position on 35 points, all the way up to, I would say, Valencia still in the mix uh, on 13th in 13th position on 40 points. So the teams in the mix are... Um, when I say the mix, I mean in the conversation are uh, Valencia, Celta Vigo, Almeria, Getafe, Cadiz, Valladolid and Espanyol. Um, let's focus a little bit on Almeria first, Tom. We've got two matches left this weekend. Uh, I believe we are home to uh, Valladolid, uh, who, of course, are in the relegation dogfight as well. And this is a must win match for Almeria. We've got a terrible away form and it's our last home game of the season. I think if we win this match, then we're definitely safe. I think if we draw this match, it's probably enough. But a lot of people around the city are getting very worried, Tom. Um, so I think this 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 match is a must-win match. We don't want to be going away to Espanyol on the last game of the season with an awful away record needing points. Um, it's interesting that Almeria, their survival is very much in our hands because we play two teams who are in the relegation zone. We've got Valladolid and Espanyol. So if Almeria go down, we will only have ourselves to blame. You make a good point there. Uh, against Valladolid and Espanyol, two teams below Almeria in the league. However, what's fascinating about these remaining games is that there are, you mentioned seven clubs who could all be relegated. That means that there are 14 games to be played between now and the end of the season. And out of those 14 games, there are only two teams involved who are not in relegation who, or who are not fighting for survival. Uh, nearly all the games are relegation battles, which makes it particularly fascinating. They become what we call six pointers, uh, where the game is worth much more than the three points because you can stop your opponent winning three points as well. Uh, I do think Almeria will be okay, mainly for the reason you said. Their home form has been very, very good all season. Uh, Valladolid, uh, they beat them last season at home when they were both in the Segunda Division. And uh, Valladolid did win the game uh, earlier this season. Uh, but I think Almeria will beat them at home because I agree with you. They don't want to go to Espanyol on the last day of the season. Uh, around them, I think there are some very interesting ties. I do feel that Valencia have done enough now. When we watched Almeria beat them a few weeks ago, Valencia were looking in terrible trouble, but they've turned it around, uh, particularly uh, with that Real Madrid victory at home last week. They did lose 1-0 to Mallorca last night, I believe, two nights ago. So not all plain sailing for Valencia. They, they dropped some points there, but... They have 43 points. They have a home tie with Espanyol and a way tie 40 with points. Betis. So they have 40 points, a home tie with Espanyol and a way tie with Betis. I think they will beat Espanyol. Celta Vigo's form has been terrible. They've uh, lost three and drawn one of the last four games and they're playing Cadiz away and Barcelona at home. 
I don't expect them to get any points from their games, but I do think that 40 points will still be enough for safety for Celta Vigo. Almeria, yeah. yeah, sorry, you carry on. Sorry, go on, go on. Almeria, just behind them, have 39, po- 39 points. I think they will finish with 42 points because I think they will beat Valladolid at home. If they don't, then they are serious contenders for relegation. Yeah, personally, I think the two teams in the relegation zone will be the teams who finish in the relegation zone. The only thing that I think could help Espanyol maybe is that if Almeria win this weekend, uh, then Almeria will be safe and playing in flip-flops. Uh, mm-hmm. When I say playing in flip-flops, I mean they will already be on the beach. They'll be thinking about their summer holidays. And I think that might be what helps Celta Vigo stay out of trouble as well. Although they've got Barcelona, it's the last game of the season. Barcelona will have had their end of season celebrations by then. I think they'll be in flip-flops as well. The Almeria case has been complicated by a red card last week to our striker, our main man, Luis Suarez. Not the Luis Suarez that everyone else knows about, but our Luis Suarez. (laughs) Um, And... It was a funny one because um, Almeria played away against uh, Real Sociedad um, and Ruby, the Almeria manager, made huge changes to the starting lineup. Um, I think he made seven or eight changes. And pre-match, I was strongly criticizing Ruby for all these changes, saying that it doesn't matter that you've got a terrible away record. Any match is a possible three points and you've got to go at every game with your best side. However, um, one of the few changes that wasn't made was Luis Suarez and he got a red card and therefore is banned for the next two matches. Mm -hmm. So Tom, what's your opinion on that? Do you think Ruby should have made so many changes for that Real Sociedad match? I mean, it's possible that with a full strength 11, Almeria would already be safe. Um, he ca- came out after the, the, the last couple of matches and, and he is a- he's actually saying, these are our finals. We're not worried about the matches against the top teams. But saying that, this is a team that's beaten Barcelona. They went very close against Real Madrid. So what do you think, Tom? I don't blame B- Ruby for making the changes. I think uh, going on the way the team that has performed away from home all season, uh, he he shouldn't have high expectations, particularly against a Real Sociedad team uh, with stars such as they have right now. They're, they're performing very, very well, that team. So I don't blame him for dropping his players. Uh, the Luis Suarez red card is unfortunate, but uh, I think that he will be able to 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 cover for him. I think uh, we can expect Lazarus to start again. Baptistel will probably come back in to take his place for the home game. I, yeah, I also, there's also mm-hmm. there's also I, talk that Torre Bilal will be back fit as well, but he's been out for a long time. He's been doing mm-hmm. a bit of training, but we haven't seen him on the pitch, so I, I don't know if he'll be fully fit. Mm-hmm. I I agree with your analysis that the two teams in the relegation zone right now with Elche. Espanyol and Valladolid will be relegated. I've calculated that it's going to be very, very close. The final game of the season, which all eyes will be on, will be Getafe-Valladolid at Valladolid's ground. Uh, I think that that game will finish in a draw. I think Getafe, their form has improved recently. They've won two and drawn one of their previous four games. So I think they will manage to hold on for a draw and they will stay up 
on superior goal difference. That's my prediction. It's in fact, it's not goal difference, is it in Spain? And that's what I, my next question ah. to you. It's it's done on a head to head basis, um, which in fact benefits Almeria because we've got a good head to head record against the teams in and around us. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, that's my next question to you. What do you prefer uh, a goal difference um, being the deciding factor or a head to head being a deciding factor? Personally, uh, having grown up in the English football system, I'm a big believer in uh, goal difference because it means that there's always a reason to fight until the last minute in a match. It doesn't matter if you're winning 4-0, it's better to, to, to win 5-0, or it doesn't matter if you're losing 5-0, it's better to lose 5-1. Whereas mm -hmm. the system here, uh, if the match is gone and you're not playing against somebody who's either going to finish just below you or just above you, there's kind of no reason to fight to the last, the final whistle. What do you think, Tom? What's your opinion? It sounds like that uh, there's less excitement with the head-to-head -head issue. In, in those particular scenarios you describe, uh, yes, you, you lose that excitement. I can see the, the positive argument being that often the teams with superior goal difference are defensively very, very strong, but not necessarily bringing the attacking flair, the creativity that can make games more exciting. Uh, but I'm with you that I think goal difference is a more meaningful statistic than head-to-head -head in a league context. Yeah, so do I. Although, I, having just thought about that, imagine you were Real Madrid or Barcelona, and imagine Barcelona wins and draws against Real Madrid in a season, but then drops points somewhere else. Um and they finish level on points and and Real Madrid win on goal difference but at the same time they 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 would have not they would have only taken one point off Barcelona in the matches they played so it is a difficult one i i think there are advantages and disadvantages to both sides i agree but uh, in that particular context i would argue that winning the league is all about consistency you don't need to be the best at beating other good teams but you need to have the best level of consistency to beat all the teams in the league. So you would be showing that with uh, with uh, goal difference rather than head to head. I couldn't agree more. Um, Tom, I think that's all we've got uh, on the relegation dogfight here in Spain. Uh, it's really exciting. Um, I, I would definitely encourage all of our international listeners to tune in and catch that uh, Valladolid, was it a Valladolid-Getafe uh, match on the last day of the season? It's mm -hmm. going to be a classic. Um, you know... Well, it, let's, let's, hope, let's hope that that's the classic and it's not Espanol Almeria that's going to be the, the, the game pending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just as a credit to the league, you know, um, it is incredibly exciting to have a third of the league fighting not to go down on the last two games in the last two games of the season. I think it's an incredibly competitive league. And for example, Almeria on 39 points. If Almeria had, um, you know... 10 points more, we'd be looking at top 10. Um, if we had, sorry, if we had 12 points more, we'd be looking at a European challenge. So apart from the top of the league, which I'm I'm going to separate Real Madrid, Barcelona and, and Atletico Madrid, um, it's a very competitive league. And also I'll cut off Elche, who have had a really terrible season, still only on 21 points, uh, a minus 38 goal difference. But from fourth place down to 19th place, um, 
if you're if you're a manager, you're thinking a couple of good signings, a tactical change here or there, and there's no reason why one of these teams who survive relegation this season couldn't have a real push for European football next season. And I think that will be the ambition of, of Almeria if we do stay in the in the league with a, a, a rich and ambitious owner. Um, and that, of course, is the carrot being dangled in front of all of these clubs. The motivational pep talk pre-match uh, should be. Very very easy for these managers you know go out there give it your all and next season we'll fight for Europe uh, especially if you're an Almeria player and you've got a chairman like Turkey El Sheikh you're wondering what bonus might come your way for staying up <laughs> yes 100% Tom I think that's all we've got time for today on the left pod learn English football podcast uh, I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to get involved in the conversation um Send us a message on any of our social networks. Leave us a review. Give us one of uh, Tom's favorites, a five-star rating, wherever you listen to your platforms. But more importantly, speak to your friends. Ask them, do you speak football? Uh, And if they do, make sure you get them listening to our podcast. We would be very much appreciative. A big thanks to all of our listeners for listening, as always. And Tom, thanks again to you. I'll see you next time. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye.